I just want to jump in really quickly to ask a very important favour. We know that most of you who listen to No Bullshit Leadership haven't yet hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite podcast player. This is how the podcast grows. And even though we've already got a pretty decent global following, we're only scratching the surface of what's possible. We started this podcast over five years ago with the lofty ambition of improving the quality of leaders globally. So if you've got any benefit at all from listening to the podcast, I'd ask you to just take a moment, literally a moment, to hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite player. The world needs more no-bullshit leaders, and you can help us to make that happen. Back to the episode. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership, or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 182 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, What is Strong Leadership? taking your people where they ought to be. I talk about it all the time, strong leadership. And pretty much all of the content that we produce on the No Bullshit Leadership podcast is designed to help you become a strong leader. But what does it mean to be a strong leader? How would you know if you were being strong enough without crossing the line to just being a tough, controlling or autocratic leader? Today I'm going to dive into a little detail about what defines strong leadership. What are the observable characteristics that strong leaders possess? Remember, your primary objective as a leader is to deliver value, to produce results and to maximise the use of the resources that your organisation has entrusted to you. 
So how do you do that in a compassionate, empathetic and considerate manner without succumbing to the temptation just to please the people who are closest to you? So I'm going to tee off with a few examples of what strong leadership isn't. I'll then discuss some of the more important characteristics of strong leadership, what it actually means to be a strong leader. And I'll finish by sharing a couple of my proudest moments where my own personal brand of leadership has come to the fore. So let's get into it. When you hear the words strong leadership these days, you could be forgiven for interpreting it as something that it actually isn't. There's been such a seismic shift over the last few years to talking only about virtuous leadership attributes that you might believe that leadership is only about one thing, supporting every individual's journey to become the best version of themselves. Well, that's not why you're paid to lead, but it can be a serendipitous byproduct of strong leadership if you do it right. Let's be clear up front. As a leader, your job is to deliver value for your organisation. And it's not just financial value. Creating a safer environment for your employees creates value. Building market intelligence that allows you to better understand your customers and competitors creates value. Investing profits back into the communities in which you operate creates value. Your job, as a leader, is to work out what value means in your context, your industry, your markets, your organisation, this point in time. But because we've been conditioned to only look at the virtue signalling aspects of leadership, we think it's all about trying to be more humble, fallible and transparent. As a result, we could be forgiven for misinterpreting what strong leadership means. Well, let's start with what it isn't. It isn't improving financial results regardless of the human and social costs required to do so. It isn't aggressive older white males dominating their weaker team members. It isn't the command and control style of leadership, do what I say and don't question me. It isn't inappropriate use of positional power. It isn't confrontational posturing. It isn't frequent displays of displeasure and anger. And it certainly isn't lack of caring, understanding and empathy for the individual. Let's take a look at a few counterexamples. Leaders who would appear to be just bullies wielding power. Now, they may think they're being strong leaders, but in my view, they are anything but. They are some of the weakest of all. There are countless examples of supposedly strong leaders who've suffered high-profile falls from grace. Ian Smith was hired as chief executive of explosives manufacturer Orica in 2012. Now, the board needed transformational change. Company performance was terrible and declining. So they figured they needed a CEO who was prepared to make some tough decisions. Instead, they hired a CEO who was just tough. He was known from previous roles as being prone to angry outbursts. Now, there were signs in Orica early on that Smith was over-aggressive. The chairman of the board and head of the board's remuneration committee had to try to pull him into line fairly early in his tenure and they all agreed that Smith's behaviour should be monitored. Still, there were many reports of Smith shouting at his people and calling them idiots, amongst other things. Eventually, the board ousted him as a result of a key resignation from one of his people only three years into his five-year contract. Hey, look, by all accounts, the Orica job was a really tough gig. But Smith, at least in this case, didn't demonstrate strong leadership at all. 
he seems to be a man who lacks the resilience to keep his cool under pressure, if we can believe the reports in the public domain. His intellectual brilliance will always be overshadowed by his inability to treat people with the respect and empathy they need when the chips are down. Uh, No, that is not strong leadership. A more recent example is the company James Hardy. Now, James Hardy specialises in building supplies. It gained notoriety many years ago for the compensation wrangling it did with people who had become terminally ill after breathing asbestos dust from James Hardy's products. Now, the company's remade itself and is incredibly successful. It's performing super well at the moment. Its shares historically traded on the New York Stock Exchange at between maybe $5 and $15 when you look at a 10-year long-run average. And the share price was under $11 in March 2020. But then it started climbing steadily and reached a high of $40. I guess COVID wasn't bad for everyone, right? But James Hardy's been in the news lately for all the wrong reasons. The untimely sacking of its CEO, Jack Truong. Now, his ousting came on the back of the threat from a dozen or more executives to resign. It seems like it was kind of an us-or-him ultimatum by the looks of things. Truong's style was reportedly to bully, belittle, and intimidate his people. Now, the statement from James Hardy's chairman was super interesting. He's a very tough, very demanding kind of executive. That's fine. That is the culture of Hardy. But he started over the last few months treating people with a lack of respect, using intimidation, fear, and humiliation. And it was not a one-off. We could not accept that. Now, that's a big call for a board to remove a CEO when he's achieving results. And one can only wonder what it would have done if it weren't faced with a mass exodus of senior executives. If you were to look at the company's financial and market scoreboard, you'd say that Jack Truong had a very successful stint at James Hardy. And I'm sure he'll be re-employed really soon. But as an aside, before you marvel too much at the way the company's market cap more than tripled in the two years from March 2020 to now, under Truong's leadership, look at how the building market changed overall due to COVID. Remember, a rising tide lifts all ships. And I'll be the first to admit that there's a lot of luck and timing in this CEO caper. Anyone who tells you otherwise is full of shit. My tenure at CS Energy was timed perfectly. The company was at the bottom of the market when I went in and at the top of the market when I went out. Did we do some awesome stuff to lift value and improve the outcomes for the business? Sure. But there's no mistaking the tailwind the market provided for us to accelerate and magnify our efforts. We have a better idea now of some of the behaviours that we mistakenly attribute to strong leadership. Bullying, intimidation and aggression are most certainly not characteristics of strong leadership. Strength doesn't come from aggression. It comes from calmness and balance. Ask anyone who practices martial arts at a high level. Being strong is very different to being tough or overbearing. Jim Collins, in his book Good to Great, coined the term level five leaders. In these leaders, he said they have a balance of humility and fierce resolve. So what are some of the defining attributes of strong leadership? If I set out to describe it, where would I start? I've come up with eight defining elements of strong leadership. You can rate yourself against this checklist to see where you stand. Just give yourself a score from 1 to 10 for each of the attributes. If you get an average of 
eight or more out of 10, it's an awesome sign that you are likely to be a really strong leader. Either that, or you may have started to believe your own bullshit. Only you know. Number one, strong leaders balance compassion with an unyielding commitment to results, standards, and performance, both at the individual and team level. They care deeply about the organisation and the people it serves, their employees, customers, suppliers, and investors. They know that this means not only caring for people on an individual basis, which is normally construed to mean their own team, but also recognising their obligation to achieve results as stewards of other people's money. This balance often seems to fall in favour of the short-term needs of the individual. But that's not necessarily the way to serve the long-term interests of the organisation, and certainly not those of the individuals who you feel compelled to placate. A strong leader doesn't overcompensate for individual needs. She constantly seeks the right balance. Number two, strong leaders control the huddle. Since I've been watching the NFL playoffs over here in recent weeks, this expression is a great way of describing the concept of having the respect required to move people from involvement to true commitment. You may have seen the way players come into a huddle before a key play, and the quarterback talks them through what needs to happen. Do those players respect the quarterback enough to really listen, to act, to want to play their part so badly that they give that almost intangible but incredibly vital extra effort? Now, with a lot of very young quarterbacks leading their teams to victory this year, you see 22 or 23-year-old rookies leading 10-year NFL veterans. Do they command the respect of those around them? It can't be done by force, and it can't be done by title or position. It's earned, and it's powerful. Number three, strong leaders remain closely connected to their people. They're close enough to know when to push and when to nurture. They know when to give critical feedback and when to let something slide. They know when to increase the pace and when to lift the performance bar. How do they know? Because their empathetic connection to each individual informs their assessment of where that person is at any given point in time. So talking of empathy, number four, strong leaders have boundless empathy. It takes enormous strength to have that much empathy, to sit with someone and genuinely connect with them in a meaningful way, to feel their fears and their anxieties, their their pain, their confusion. Only strong leaders can resist succumbing to the temptation of dismissing people's feelings as unimportant or, even worse, avoiding them altogether. It's so much easier just to tell people what to do, isn't it? And it takes even more strength to not let that empathy morph into feelings of sympathy. Now, for more on this, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to episode 135, When Empathy Becomes Sympathy. It is a really important distinction. Strong leaders have a thick skin and a soft heart. But tough leaders have a thin skin and a hard heart. Number five, of course, strong leaders take accountability. When things go wrong or when seemingly insurmountable challenges face the organisation, strong leaders stand up. They face into it and they say, I've got this. They don't blame others for problems or failures. They don't try to squirm out from under their accountability. They don't delegate inappropriately, distancing themselves from problems while letting their team take the brunt of it. They step into the vacuum that weak leaders leave and they fill it with purpose, courage, and a steely resolve. 
Number six, strong leaders demonstrate courage when dealing with those above. They don't just nod, smile and agree with whatever their boss says. They fight vigorously and selflessly for the best outcome and for the principles and values that the organisation has said it wants to uphold. This isn't always easy. Many bosses don't want to hear anything that shows dissent with their own views. And they certainly don't wish you to point out the areas in which their actions might not match their words. But strong leadership requires you to put that aside and do whatever it takes to achieve what you believe to be the best possible outcome. The same holds true not just for those above, but any stakeholders you deal with where you don't control the power balance in the relationship. Peers, suppliers, investors, even the media. Number seven, strong leaders stand up when it costs the most. When crises occur, when things go wrong, when mistakes are made, when the chips are down, that's when strong leaders shine. When the personal risk of an adverse outcome is at its highest, the great leader is at their strongest. They have an incredible level of resilience, that that grace under pressure that we should all aspire to. They give strength and confidence to those around them. They lead from the front, and I'm not talking about over-functioning for your people by doing their jobs for them. I'm talking about demonstrating the behaviours that, in a perfect world, your people will be moved to emulate. Finally, number eight, strong leaders take people where they ought to be. This comes from one of my favourite leadership quotes from former First Lady of the USA, Rosalind Carter. She said, A leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to be. Okay, that's a pretty good laundry list of how you might be able to recognise a strong leader and how you might be able to emulate some of those characteristics yourself. Hopefully, this makes it easier for you to see the difference between this and the tough leaders we looked at earlier in this episode. More often than not, tough leaders are just nasty. But the most dangerous leaders, in my view, are the weak ones, who hide in the shadows, who play political games, who avoid conflict, and who shun accountability. They'll tell you one thing, then they'll do another. They rationalise their failings to justify them and make themselves feel righteous about how they're doing things. I think you all know what I mean. You've all seen this movie, right? Now, they're not necessarily bad people. They're just too weak to deserve the privilege of leading others. I just want to give two quick examples of the things in my career that fill me with pride because I was able to show strength of leadership and demonstrate the right example for my people when it mattered the most. In both of these cases, the theme is really about putting the good of the organisation ahead of my own self-interest. So the first one is in 2003 when I was Chief Information Officer at a mining company in Australia. We were taken over by a larger global firm and they came in to make some changes in the organisation. Part of that change was decimating my group by taking out about half of the people who were there. The process for this was pretty sketchy. They sent in some consultants who, based on benchmarking other similar organisations, decided that we needed fewer staff. So they took out the hierarchical structure chart and just started crossing boxes off with a red sharpie. Now, that's not necessarily the best way to do things. But I had a fine balance to tread. My job was not to save jobs. My job was to get the best outcome for the organisation who was acquiring my company. And that meant explaining to them very carefully what the risk was of taking out any particular role, 
who the best people were, who they should want to keep under any circumstances because they were top guns, and what they were going to lose if they wiped out whole functions. I had to do it in a way, though, that always kept the value of the incoming company in mind. I didn't try and save the jobs of my mates. I didn't try and feather my own nest. I played with a straight bat that said, I'm going to fight for what's best for you guys, even though you might not know what it is. And when it came to owning those decisions and having the conversations with the individuals to tell them what their future was with the new organisation, I wouldn't leave that to a faceless HR person from the new organisation who was going to fly over from the other side of the world and tell everyone what was going on. I insisted that I sat down with my team, regardless of which level they were at, and had that conversation with them directly, empathetically, and personally. And for that, I'm extremely proud. The second example is after my first year at CS Energy. As I said earlier on, the company was at the very bottom of the market, and it was a terrible year for the organisation. We didn't achieve really any of the goals we'd set out to achieve. However, by the letter of the law, I had actually earned a performance bonus. Now, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but what I did when I got into that board meeting where we were handling all the remuneration and bonuses for the staff that year, I declined my bonus. I basically said to the board, I really appreciate the fact that you want to pay me this bonus, but in good conscience, I can't accept it. We did not create value for our shareholders. When we turn this company around and we're making money, hey, you can pay me, don't worry about that. But right now, I think it's much more important that we send a signal and a message to our shareholders and to our people that we get paid for performance. This is not something that we get just for turning up. And for that, I'm also pretty proud. All right, so I hope that helps you get a better feel for what I mean when I talk about strong leadership. It's very different from being tough and overbearing. And now it should be obvious to you how it differs from the laissez-faire, soft approach of the virtue-signalling leader. So I'd encourage you to take this guideline for strong leadership to heart. In the world of the no-bullshit leader, this is your roadmap to success. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 182. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode with another leader who you know is going to benefit from it. Rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. I look forward to next week's episode, Mentors, Coaches, and Trusted Advisors. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. 